Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. Uh, it's good to be back with you again. I hope you are doing well. I hope you're excited for today's episode. We're going to talk to Joshua Harris. Very exciting stuff. Um, caused a huge stir uh, in the Christian world when he uh, came out as deconstructing. Um, and so that'll be a great conversation before we get cracking. I uh, want to let you know about a couple of things. So I've recently, you'll maybe have seen this if you follow me on social media or on YouTube, um, I've been putting out a series called Understanding Deconstruction. We've done uh, what is deconstruction and exploring what that is. We've talked about why do people deconstruct. We've talked about um, some of the myths of deconstruction. We've talked about what reconstruction is and why that's a very problematic idea. Um, we have talked about developmental uh, theory and how that uh, can shine a light on how we go about our deconstruction. I'm about to put out a video later this week um, probably tomorrow if you're listening to this podcast as it comes out, on uh, how to talk to family members as you deconstruct. And so this is going to be a really exciting um, series. I'm really enjoying recording them. I'm enjoying putting them out. I'm loving hearing your feedback. Please do let me know what you think about those in the comments and and, um, shoot me a DM on Instagram or whatever if you want to talk about any of it. Um, But one of the reasons I wanted to mention to you on the podcast is a lot of you I know don't interact on um, Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube. You're just here on the on the podcast enjoying your, your thing. Listen to me as you go for a run or drive or whatever you're doing. Um, and I want to make those accessible to all of you as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to keep putting out the podcast once a week in an interview format. But we're going to start going back to having two pieces of um two resources coming out every week again. I know that I used to do two a week all throughout last year, shifted back to once a week when I I was quite unwell at the beginning of the year. I'm still not 100%. I'm still not firing on all cylinders. Um, But I do want to start ramping up, getting some uh, content to you all. And so what we're going to start doing as of next week is on Mondays, we'll be introducing um, an episode on understanding deconstruction. They're probably going to be much shorter than the usual podcast, anything from sort of 15 to 40 minutes or so. Um, and then on Thursdays, we'll have the podcast. So you've got uh, Josh Harris this week. Um, next week, we have uh, Dan Koch. The week after that, we've got Tina Schoenresellers. We've got some great guests lined up. So uh, uh, don't worry, those interviews are not going anywhere. The amazing conversations we have aren't going anywhere, but I want to add some more value to all and and, and give some maybe um, more practical day-to-day application of how to walk out deconstruction some of the tips that i've picked up along the way and helping people um, and so hopefully that that's helpful for you all um, as always check out the deconstructionnetwork.com it's a free resource helping you connect with other people locally that are going through deconstruction it's such a lifeline for people if if uh you've been through deconstruction, you know that it can be a very lonely journey, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be lonely. There, there are so many people out there going through this and so many of them are in your local area. Uh, the, the challenge is just figuring out how to connect. And so the Deconstruction Network is a great tool for that. And so I'd encourage you to check that out. Um, and if you're looking for an online community that's um, a lot more tight, a very safe space, I encourage you to check out my Patreon. The beauty is you get to help me do what I'm doing and put out these free resources and, and support me in what I'm doing. And as a thank you, you get access to a private discussion group. We we hang out all throughout the week. We have all sorts of great discussions. We do voice chats, video chats, um, and then just text backwards and forwards in the group um, about all kinds of topics, um, ranging from deconstruction to absolute nonsense. Um, maybe deconstruction is absolute nonsense. Who knows? But we, we talk a lot about all sorts of great things and it's a great um, loving community there. Um, and it would be great to have you in there if, if you are looking for something like that. 
All right, so enough from me, enough rabbiting. Um, let's dive into the conversation with Josh Harris. Cool. Well, Josh, for anyone, do you prefer Josh or Joshua as well? I keep, I keep calling you Josh in my head and you're, you're Harris Josh on Instagram. And I think that's why it is. Right. Yeah. But no, that's, I often that makes see sense. you say Joshua on like different things, your books, your, you know, your, your different publicity right. things. They often say Joshua. I really am not, it, I'm not picky about it. So Josh okay. is great. Cool. All right, good. That's probably a good one to go for because I will default back to whatever's in my head bouncing around. Well, for anyone that's been living under a rock for the last kind of like who knows how long, um, in this deconstruction space, most people have probably uh, come across you. But in the off chance they haven't, do you want to give like a rough overview of who you are, um, why people might have known you in this space? Like what what part of your path makes you... Um, a bit of a, a, a icon in this space um, and, oh, and maybe boy. a bit about what you do and, and who you are at, sure. outside of that as well, just in general. Right. Well, I grew up in a Christian family and my dad was a well-known homeschool leader and speaker back in the 80s and 90s in the, in the States. And so um, I kind of uh, followed his uh, path and got into speaking and at a really, you know, young age, relatively young age, mm. got into to writing. And so I wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And that is probably what most people, if you were in the, the evangelical subculture in any form, would be aware of. Uh, and so yeah. that book was um, a big part of my ideas about uh, sex and dating and romance. And I went and spoke at conferences and wrote follow-up books to that, was a pastor for a long time. And then in the last five years or so, so much of my life uh, unraveled and changed in really dramatic ways. Mm. And, um, you know, this isn't the path for everyone. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but in my <laughs> particular case, I was pretty public about those shifts and those changes, especially because my my marriage ended and we we wanted to be the ones that shared that instead of that coming out in some sort of um, back channel way. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I mean, without really uh, expecting or trying to, um, I think there are so many people, as you know, who have walked a similar path of changing beliefs, um, going back and questioning and reevaluating the way that they lived and the way that they approached faith and the way that they mm. thought. And I'm just one of those people, but because of my, my writing, um, that change got a little bit more attention and it's, it's led to some amazing connections and friendships. And for that, mm. I'm really grateful. Yeah, absolutely. I can well imagine. Do you know what? I, I, I laugh because I, I was, I'm from the UK and I wasn't massively exposed to American Christianity within the UK for the, majority of my time here before I moved to America. Um, and yet I read your book, my first ever girlfriend right? when I was, I was like, I was a late bloomer. I was terrified of girls. I was quite late with puberty because I was quite ill. And then an offset of that was I was quite shy. I missed a lot of school. So I, I had so many barriers to ever getting to talk to a girl ever on, on any wow. scale. Um, <laughs> but I remember um, my first girlfriend and I was like so stoked. And then I remember she showed up on my, on our second date. And uh, 
she rocked and, and, and in our first date she like just like pounced on me and she kissed me and like i think i was her first boyfriend and she, she, I, just, I always want to know what it's like and i'm like oh cool this is a, a great there i guess so i was terrified this to make first move i didn't have to well. second date she rocks up she's holding your book right? oh, and i was like goodness. huh what's happening here like, a, uh... and i was like this is it this is you made a compelling argument as a as a conventional evangelical christian I was like, you're right. You know, this is, this is serious. Like we need to make this seriously and whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, all the way, you know, over in Scotland, totally disconnected on the whole from American Christianity, your book right. was, was reaching me. Um, and so it, it, I think that's why this has been such a big deal. I mean, there are people all over the world. It's not just within a, a small isolated bubble. Um, mm. Although I guess evangelicalism within that or, or, you know, conventional Christianity is in somewhat a bubble. Um it's, it's a big deal. And then I guess as well, the topic of that book um, is right. is so intrinsically interwoven with a lot of people's path as they come out of um, mm. a conventional Christian model as well. Um, That's true. So I know that part of your deconstruction was specifically around that book and 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 the, maybe some feedback and things i I've, i know I've, I've heard you talk about this and i and i will say we're kind of diving in we're going to dive in and, and go off quite heavy if, if you haven't watched an introduction to joshua harris somewhere you've not seen an interview or anything like that, I'll, I'll maybe post some links to to some different interviews um that you can do that on um and so um, forgive us if we don't give a full over breakdown of everything to do with uh, with Josh, because I don't want to, you know, belabor stuff he's gone over a hundred times probably. Um, but can you talk to me about, you know, you wrote that book so young, right? What, what age were you? Twenty? What? I was twenty one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, mm. I was probably about your age while I was reading. You know, I was maybe a couple of years. I mean, barely. You know, um, and and it is fascinating that dynamic. Can you talk about that dynamic? of growing up and feeling so confident about something. I mean, everyone's confident at 21, right? But feeling like, oh no, I've got this. I can, I, I've got something really important to say in this world. I, I, I'm, I'm clear about this. And, and, and how you went from that sort of confidence of knowing I know all about this right. kind of important topic of sex and marriage and dating and courting to unraveling somewhat and and realizing oh yeah. shit maybe not entirely <laughs> um, <laughs> can you talk a bit about that kind of what what arc that took or how, how you kind of right. went from a right through to whatever letter you're well, on now, it was I'm a sure. long it was a long journey i mean it's you know 20 years after that book was written is when i finally started listening to criticism of it so it took me a long time i was deeply entrenched mm. and i ignored a lot of voices a lot of people who were raising these questions and online, you know, having the the conversation that would become what we talk about now as a critique of purity culture. Yeah. Um, I think when I was, you know, when I was young, I there was just so much idealism and there's so much energy. And I would say for me, the self-righteousness of, you know what, we're the new generation. We're gonna take all this seriously where past generations of Christians have failed, we're going to be, you know, committed. And so there's this mix of both guilt over, you know, struggling with um, lust or having done things with my girlfriend that I then look back and say, well, I wasn't supposed to do that. And this strong message of here's what God wants in your life. And so the, the topic of sex is just one part of being a human, but in that particular 
you know, day and age in the church, it was such a huge focus mm. in terms of the youth being uh, indoctrinated about the importance of saving sex for marriage. So it just took on this huge, you know, kind of role in my thinking about my relationship with God, my way of measuring my relationship with God. And then when I kind of had my come to Jesus again moment of, I want to be serious about my faith that was the area that I needed to conquer, that I needed mm. to submit to the Lord. And so I just threw myself into that with this sense of righteous, you know, a righteous cause. Like I need to, right. I want to call my generation. I was zealous and I was building that on the kind of authority of the people who had come before me. So I was standing on Elizabeth Elliot's shoulders. I was standing on the shoulders of my parents who'd been communicating these ideas about courtship and, you know, all these things. I was standing on the shoulders of Josh McDowell, who'd written about the importance of sexual, you know, purity before marriage, all these things. And so with all that behind me, I, I had this sense of confidence that anyone who disagreed was really just not taking faith seriously enough. Right. Yeah. It's, it's such, um, I mean, it's such a huge, we talk about Christianity as an echo chamber, but it's a huge one. Do you know what I mean? Like it, for every sure. person I bet that you came across that would have critiqued you, you could have found a thousand Christians that were going, this is the best thing. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's, it's not the easiest, um, mm. world to pick up on criticism or, or is to realize that the, the criticism is potentially even that reasonable or, or that, uh, you know, uh, valid, I guess, um, because you do have these giants, these people that you look up to, these people that are clearly doing life really well, right? They're clearly right. following God well, and they, they did it that way. And um, it, it's it's a really weird world to grow up in, I guess, because, I mean, you literally grew up on it as well, right? I, I grew up a pastor's kid, so I mean, I, I get it. Like, it's, you know, your yeah. brain isn't finished forming till like, you know, 23, 24. <laughs> and that whole time I'm going, this is how everything is, you know? I mean, my brain forming right. and learning Christianity are interwoven. Um, and exactly. that's, that's a, that's a lot to be, um, brought up in, uh, well, and, and, and to then be a thought leader in the midst of that as well. Right. And no, that's a really uh, good point. And, and at least in the, the church settings that I was in, there wasn't this, um, understanding or teaching about the historic, you know, historical faith, all the different expressions of it and right. so on. So you didn't even get a sense of within you know our bubble there are different ways <laughs> to think right. about it it was our way of thinking is the best way the only way and no sense of really place in history or ways that other factors in culture and yeah. politics were actually driving a, a big part of the the conversation and the urgency i i remember one of the, the people at the time who had a word of caution was actually the pastor of the church that I grew up in his, I was best friends with his son, Stu Weber, who was a big um, Christian writer and leader and part of the, the uh, promise keepers movement and those types okay. of things. And he said in a kind of offhand way, when I got this book deal, almost under his breath while he was walking away with his wife at an airport that I ran into him at. He was like, I don't think people should write books before they're 40. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being so just like ticked off by that, like you jerk, you know, but he was getting at something really important. Yeah, and that you. is that, yeah, things are, your, your brain is still forming in many ways. I, I don't like to censor people and say, you right. can't, you know, write or speak or share something until you're a certain age. Yeah. But I, the thing that I, I talk about with other people is be very careful if what you're writing and you're communicating 
is prescriptive. In other yeah. words, I think everybody should be able to hold to whatever value they want. I mean, I, I support people who still want to, you know, cling to the ideals of purity. And if that's the way that they want to live, that's great. Yeah. But when we start communicating to others and say, you have to do this, this is the mm. only way to express faith, or this is the only way to be a good person or whatever it is. And here's a prescription and a formula for that. That, that shapes other people's lives. And you better be really confident and sure of what you're doing when you start taking on that kind of authority. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, right, that guy over 40, um, I know nothing about him, but I know a lot of 40-year-olds that are just as black and white and prescriptive oh, and sure. stuck no, in their ways and probably haven't particularly grown from when they were 21. Maybe they've had a bit more life experience, um, and maybe a bit more well-rounded as a human and maybe can respond to some like hardships and stuff a bit better. But probably in a lot of ways certainly in faith and things like that can be just as black and white just as dualistic just as in out right wrong left right um and so i i don't think even age protects you from this and actually sometimes i think, I think right. looking at this coming generation i'm god god these guys are growing up in a lot less of a fundamental way and actually with a lot more humility mm. and openness to what they don't know I think there's still that teenage bravado or, you know, the, uh, the, all the, the, all of us have when we're younger that we kind of have figured it yes. out. Um, but maybe that what they have figured out is, well, you know, like maybe let's be a bit more open-minded. And, and so I do wonder as well sometimes whether, um, what the world will look like moving forward as far as stuff like that goes, you know, being a little bit less prescriptive. Question. It's exciting. Yeah. I think. That's um, really, I think it really is exciting. I, I, I mean, I'm challenged by my kids all the time. I have a, a 20 year old an 18 year old and a 14 year old and uh wow. they stretch me you know their ways of of looking at the world and um thinking about things provokes me and i i, I learned from them i bet like it's amazing i was in the south last year in like quite rural areas as well um meeting with these mm -hmm. different communities and i was astonished like I'm always astonished when I come over to America in the different cultural dynamics and whenever I go anywhere, but in certain parts of America, especially in rural South locations, I'm like, wow, certain things, certain stories you hear, you're like, whoa, I forget like how bubbled people can become, you know, and so, yeah. certain people in this community have never left like a 50 mile radius. And, you know, they, they were homeschooled. They've been to one church their whole life. You know I mean? They, they have mm -hmm. not been exposed to a different way of thinking. But what was fascinating is I, I met um, one couple in particular I'm thinking of who were maybe a little bit more conservative, a bit, bit more traditional, a bit more, cons uh, you know, conventional, but they were hanging out with me. So they were still pretty wild <laughs> for their culture. <laughs> but I talked to their kids and I remember talking yeah. specifically to, I think their daughter was like 14 and I was just like, holy shit. Like, yeah it doesn't really matter what her parents like this kid was raised by netflix and youtube and instagram and her peers at school and she has been globalized and her parents uh, I, I don't know her parents probably have traveled well or whatever but you know like a lot of people in this culture have not gone further than 50 miles and yet this That's girl so has had a broad expansive exploration of the world from her iphone you know <laughs> um it's it's a very That's interesting a world and i mean, I mean yeah. yeah i remember that kind of shift taking place in our church because we were very conservative, very legalistic, very controlling of ourselves and other people of, mm. you know, stay away from, you know, renting certain types of movies at Blockbuster. You know, there was a sense in which yeah. you could go and choose uh, which videos you rented and you might run into fellow church member there, you know? So there was <laughs> this built-in accountability and all this, so you know, funny. was just blown away by the advent of the internet and the ability to 
you know, take in different ideas and content without anyone else knowing, which, right. you know, broadens your mind. It begins yeah. to, it begins to open up the world to you. It's, it's exciting. So, I mean, what, what was it that started to kind of, was it having kids being, uh, you know, I mean, you were a pastor, right? I mean, you, you're, 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 it's got to be quite stressful to be a pastor or stuff. I, I always think like, mm. I'm always fascinated because I've never um, been personally responsible for people as a pastor. I, I was a, an itinerant, right? So I go into people's churches and like ruin it and then leave. And I'd say something <laughs> crazy. And the pastor's like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to have to fix that now. Um, but I never had a little group that I was like, I've got to protect these people. I've been on leadership teams locally and stuff, but not to that degree. And I can mm. imagine that 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 shift and that openness to globalization, that ability for you to say, look, guys, hell means uh, there's a place that you go. If you don't say this prayer, if you don't tick this box, you're going to go there forever. And that's just the way it is. It's what the Bible clearly says. It, it mm. must have changed for you at some point where people could pull out their phone. And while you were still saying it, quickly Google and find out that mm. ultimate reconciliation or annihilation or whatever, where different theologies were possible and go, that pass is talking crap. Like yeah. he's just giving me one idea of a few or, you know, did you, did you see that transition as you were, as, as mm -hmm. kind of the internet was becoming um, more of a thing as social media, when people were like, right. You know, just exposed to groups of people that thought differently within the same tradition. Right. So like you're saying, it's just this broader Orthodox view within historical Christianity. It doesn't yeah. have to be a, oh, a, a heresy question. or anything. Yeah. Well, I, I think that our church was a very hierarchical the movement that we were a part of um was very controlling very uh you know don't don't read certain authors stay away from certain people so there was there were tight boundary lines around people mm. i mean the the kind of mentor and founder of our of, of the church that i pastored at you know used to call the bookstore the world's greatest bookstore and he hand selected every yeah. book in there, um, and you would you would only find the approved authors. You would only wow. find the approved theology. So, in many ways, we were insulated from from some of what yeah. you're describing. But what what I think I like I remember when Rob Bell um, wrote his book Love Wins, mm -hmm. huge explosion in the Christian world, right. um, and that was because someone who was somewhat in the camp. Now, Brad right. Bell would have been viewed with massive suspicion in our circles, okay? Because, you know, he's, he's kind of, he feels a little liberal. He's, he he right. talks about things and he asks questions that were uncomfortable. Yeah. But, his, but he is bringing these youth in, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> when we yeah, show us NUMA videos at youth group, <laughs> you know, like they do like but, it. But isn't that the reason there was so, so much backlash, right? Because yeah. he was someone who was bringing these questions about, you know, hell and so on and, and that whole theology. Mm. And there, you know, he basically had to get pushed out of the camp. And I was one of those people that was like, you know, farewell Rob Bell kind right. of attitude. Um, and, and so I think that was a moment where you start seeing, wait a second, there's a whole generation, there's a whole group of people out there that are resonating with this. They're not happy yeah. with this. You're, they're speaking up on Twitter in defense of Rob Bell. It's right. not enough that just the leaders on high say, don't read this book. And, you know, here's an alternative book that, that you know, shoots it down kind of a thing. The other thing, though, that I, I think your question is really insightful. In our denomination, it was the internet that allowed people that had been affected by, the bad, by our bad leadership mm. to begin speaking up. And so that was on anonymous blogs where 
you know, 30 plus years of a movement with hundreds of churches, you can control your local church. And, you know, somebody comes and has a complaint, you deal with that so that nobody else finds out, you kind of push them out the door, they ask questions about theology, or why can't women be leaders or any of those types of things, and you just usher them out. Or mm-hmm. people, you know, realize this is an unhealthy place, and so they leave, and you just kind of keep the people in place that, right. that are still. You there, can even right? control the narrative of why did that couple go. Oh well, you know, they Absolutely. just made a few difference of opinions. They decided a different oh, place was for them. Or slandered all over easy. the place. You know, you know that person's proud. That person's arrogant. That person, you know, doesn't hold to the gospel. Mm. Whatever. You know, you say those things. The internet allowed all of those people who had been negatively affected to begin sharing their stories. And they started sharing terrible stories of, you know, sexual abuse being mishandled, things being handled in a bad way. And I was a, I was a part of some of those things. One of my biggest regrets has to do with failing to report something when a family brought something to us. And we had to walk through a process of apologizing to our church and, you know, walking through a real learning process. But those kinds of stories by the dozens and the hundreds you know, we're able to be featured on these blogs, which allow people mm. to say, wait a second, I'm not the only person that experiences, wait a second, there should be accountability. And so I think that's an example of what you're describing. Wow. And part of our church movement imploding in many ways, there being, you know, massive division splits, splits of the movement splits of the churches related to how to respond to this new dynamic. And some of us were saying, you know what, you know, speaking as, as back then as a Christian, we need to repent. We need to humble ourselves. We've gotten some things wrong. And other leaders saying, no, we just, these people are gossiping. They're slandering. Don't go and read those blogs. Mm -hmm. So there was this kind of attempt to hold back this wave of accountability that the internet brought on. And, um, and that was part of my process of starting to go, wait a second, we, we've built something here. That's really negative and and mm. harmful and i'm i'm sitting down with these people and i'm hearing these stories and even though we talk about grace and we talk about the gospel we've built a culture where people are in fear where people don't have freedom to think and live differently there are all these practices that we've elevated to to you know be necessary to be right with god yeah. and that was the beginning of me starting to question my role starting to question everything i learned about leadership and then starting to question my books. And that process led to even bigger questions. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things that once the once the, the ball starts rolling, you do have an avalanche on your hand really quick. <laughs> it's it's it's, it's it's a big deal. And and usually very rarely did just I've not come across many people that have sought this out, you know? It feels mm. like it seeks you out, you know, it kind of just hits you and you and you can't help but go like, oh yeah, that's that's weird. And you kind of start pulling the string and before you know it, the whole thing's a pile of thread <laughs> or whatever it looks like. I mean, right. It, it, it felt like, so I watched this from obviously afar. I, I honestly didn't know much about you beyond the book that I'd read, gosh, 20 plus years now ago. Um, and so I, I didn't know the ins and outs of what this looked like for you and, and the journey. And I've, I've heard on different podcasts now a little bit of your journey, but it felt like you kind of got thrown into the limelight as far as like, hey, everybody, look at Josh Harris. He's deconstructing. Well, most people weren't even using that language. They were just saying, Josh Harris no longer believes in God. He's an atheist. He's or agnostic. Mm-hmm. Different labels were thrown around. And I guess being in this movement, I, I read that and I was like, this guy 
didn't anywhere actually say in this interview, actually, I believe X or I don't believe, you know, particularly like there was a lot of things in the interview that so many people portrayed about you that were just so inaccurate. Um, they might have actually been accidentally accurate, maybe. <laughs> um, you know, that happens for sure when people go, oh, this guy's this. And you're like, oh, yeah, probably actually. Um, but did, did you feel as you um, transitioned in that process that you were kind of, um, your hand was forced in a way, like as far as like, how you then had to control that narrative, put it out. You had to become a bit of a spokesperson mm. for this. Um, mm. Did you did you intend to do that? Because I know you, you you mentioned you wanted to kind of get ahead of this. You wanted to talk about it, maybe for the sake of mm. you know your community, for your for your family, for your your, your relationship. Right. Um, but I mean, you also have your own stuff going on, right? I mean, you you, you probably sure. didn't intend to become explicitly a big voice in the deconstruction movement that people look to for advice and and for guidance and for commentary. Um, but you became that really suddenly overnight, it feels like. Well, you know, I, there's a, there's a lot of kind of backstory to, to all those things. One thing I would say is that when it became public, when I first communicated, my faith has gone through a massive transition. I can't even say that I would call myself a Christian. Um, that's all that I was ready to say at that mm -hmm. point. Um, I, talk to a number of people who I really am grateful for. They encouraged me, you know, lay low. Like people were instantly wanting me to, to kind of uh, take some sort of role or be kind of a, you know, a gathering point for things. And I just felt that it was really important for me to listen, to learn from others and to respect the fact that many other people had been on this pathway, on this journey and they were better voices to kind of uh, help and encourage other people. So mm. I have tried to just play a part of just honestly sharing <laughs> the things that I'm dealing with and that I'm grappling with. And um, that's been really a, a kind of good space for me to be mm. in. Um, and I, you know, you've have talked to so many different people that are, at, you know, deconstructing in different forms. And, yeah. and you've done such a great job, I think giving a common language and an understanding of the the breadth of what that can look like and the diversity mm -hmm. of what that can look like. Um, you know, I shared publicly that I was going through that and I don't know that um, I, I would recommend that to other people. Right. Uh, I think it creates a tremendous amount of pressure. I think it creates a pressure to try to find a new identity quickly. Like, well, who are you? Where do you fit? That type of thing. Mm -hmm. I think the reason that I did that is because I just felt I was so tired of people assuming something about me. I didn't want there to be this gap between who I who I really was and who people thought me to be. Yeah. And just by the nature of the life I'd lived and the books I'd written, there was a public persona. Yeah. And so when my uh, marriage came to an end, and we just you know decided to share that because we knew it would get out. Um, because of Ica's dating vibes, you know, that was going to get out one way or the other. Immediately after that, there was this uh, onslaught of people making judgment, judgments about why that must be. And, you know, all the, you know, all the, you know, like the Christian justifications or excuses for, mm -hmm. for getting divorced, which, you know, begin to come into play with me, people just making all these speculations and doing all these things. And, and I was at this place where I did not want to uh, try to justify, defend, explain, get into theological arguments. My thinking about 
My LGBTQ friends had completely changed. I wanted to mm. affirm and support them. I wasn't interested in trying to get into a theological debate with people about why I was wanted to do that. And I think I just was at this time where I just felt like, you know what? I want to wipe the slate clean. I don't want to be living under anybody's expectations. And so I just came out and said, look, I'm, I'm not even trying to play according to these rules anymore. I'm not right. even calling myself a Christian. And and in the kind of one fell swoop said, you know, to all my gay friends, I'm sorry for ways that I've taught things and said things that were oppressive to you. And I mm. affirm and celebrate you. And that was just kind of my way of being like, peace out, guys. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Please leave me alone, evangelical yeah. world. Please do not um, quote another Bible verse at me, expecting me to be yeah. like, wow, oh gosh, I better change. <laughs> exactly. And and so, you know, in my own life, that was not this final statement of, I'm not going to ever, you know, be a Christian, appreciate Christian viewpoints or even whatever. I, I, I view myself, I like the phrase unfolding, I'm still unfolding. Mm. And I want to give myself the freedom to grow and change and and even listen to, you know, I've got progressive Christian friends um, who have a completely different way of looking at faith. I, I'm not there, but I, I want to be open to those thoughts. I want to be open yeah. to understanding other religions. I want to be open to, you know, what it looks like to, to you know, live a, a moral and joyful life as an agnostic or whatever. You know, I want to be open mm. to all those things and curious and um, compassionate towards other people. But uh, I, I kind of needed the space to just say I'm out in order to do that, yeah. you know, because I think um, I was in such a place of, there's only one way to think about this. Everything's black and white that I couldn't even go on that journey while trying to claim to be in that camp anymore. Yeah. And I was just exhausted by it. It's utterly exhausting. Um, I mean, of course there's, there's, um, there's those two kind of perspectives of, you know, coming out and not coming out and kind of tiptoeing along and everything in between, right? There's a myriad right. of different ways to navigate that. And, and there's a lot of pros on both sides and everything in between. Yeah. And there's a lot of cons on both sides for no, sure. That's, a, that's well said. Um, that's so true. But it it's really, really heavy living a life where people go, you are this. And feeling you have this mask on, you can't mm -hmm. really be yourself. You aren't really being loved and accepted and, you know, celebrated for who you are because you can't show people who you are. And so what they love is the, the old you that isn't really who you are anymore. Um, it, it's a lot, right? It's, you get home mm. and you're like, gosh, I feel utterly deflated and empty and a bit like isolated in my own thriving community or whatever it looks like. I mean, it's it's a lot yeah. to do. And I, I, I think I've got a lot of sympathy for people that go, yeah, I, I need to rip this bandit off because it needs to happen. Mm. And I think there's a lot of really good reasons to do that. Um, I'm intrigued. So there's something that fascinates me. So of course, you know, of course, evangelicals hear this and they're like, well, obviously you didn't, you stopped reading the Bible enough or you're never Christian in the first place or whatever, right? All no, the amazing right. lists. Yeah. I'm intrigued um, by how did, how did you, um, was there a voice from those that have been your detractors over the years of going, ha, that'll teach him or, or any of like, was, what was the... Was there a voice from those that had been your ardent uh, uh, enemies over the years rather than your ardent supporters? Was there some sort of response that you came across? Was there a celebration of like, oh, dude, I'm really happy for you. You've kind of woken mm -hmm. up to what we've been saying from the outside for a while. Because right. obviously a lot of us know what it's like um, 
from the other side of it. You know, if we, we all we all know what Christians are going to be like, mostly because we were those Christians, right? We were the ones that were like, oh, they never really believed or look at them backsliding until it's us, right? Um, yeah, it's but it must have been interesting. Did you did you perceive any of that? Was was there any of that as a dynamic? Or maybe, maybe there wasn't, but I'm intrigued as to if there was you any mean, of that. You mean in, uh, the response from people who had, who had been critical of me? Yeah, yeah. How they responded when I changed. Sure. Yeah. When you maybe came out or maybe when your marriage, when you announced your marriage was, was um, right. kind of dissolving, like whatever that might have d different stages, I guess, or different parts of that, yeah. that story. But was, was there a voice from those kind of people like crap? That's a great question. Um, I would say there was, there was quite a diversity and I, I feel that I encountered a lot of kindness um, and graciousness I think people in the LGBTQ community in particular were very uh, kind to me. And I think they uniquely understand mm. the idea of being true to who you are, uh, literally coming out. I mean, that's the, that's the yeah. term that we, we think about for, with someone who, who owns that part of who they are. They could understand that. And they could understand the cost and the sense of fear and the sense of, you know, am I going to be alone now that I'm, mm. I'm being honest about my, my shift in faith? So that was something that was really encouraging to me. I had, you know, the full spectrum though, you know, people saying, well, it's too late for you to be sorry. Mm. People who were, you know, really hurt by my, my writing kind of like, oh, it's really nice for you to be, you know, to unpublish your books, but I, I, you know, shaped my life by those books and, right. and I completely understand that too. Um, so I've had, I've had a lot of really meaningful interactions with people at a lot of different places. Um, but for the, for the most part, I would say there was a lot of, a lot of grace. And, and like you said too, there was also people who were getting very nervous about the pathway I was on much earlier on. Right. In other yeah, words, yeah. you know, just moving to go to Regent College, which is a very uh, orthodox, even conservative Christian uh, seminary uh, in many ways. But in our circles, it's viewed with suspicion because right. they, they're more open, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. because they, they kind of embrace the whole kind of history of the church in different ways. And um, so I remember people writing me like, oh, I'm really surprised that you, you chose Regent and, you know, people in like John MacArthur's world saying, oh, there, you know, Harris is, he's, he's already basically off, right. off the tracks already. Yeah. They were already, they've got their tweets that. ready to punch. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's it. Regent, so, man. It's, you guys are Regent. You're, you're off. You're going to deconstruct. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Which is laughable, which is really laughable. If you know, if you know, Regent. in that Regent, context, of course, Yeah, uh, definitely. maybe not so much, but, but, in this but context, I would say too, things. like when I started questioning the book, the very mm. act of engaging people and apologizing in certain sections of the evangelical church is viewed as weakness. Yeah. And it's viewed as weakness, which is viewed as tied to liberalism, which is viewed as, you know, two steps away from apostasy. So when I came out and said my book was wrong and these different things, red lights are going off for those people. Mm -hmm. And then when I came out and said, I'm, I'm not a Christian, I affirm my, my gay friends, they, we, they were writing things like, oh, he's going to transition. He's probably going to, you know, he's got probably going to come out as gay or he's going to transition to be a woman and 
all those types of things. I remember yeah, reading these articles people, and those, seeing those headlines. To those people, I would say, yeah, maybe. Just stick around, right? <laughs> <laughs> if that would make you more angry, I might consider all those options. I know, sure. right? An April Fool's maybe? Or <laughs> it's really, it's really sad, though. I mean, I, you know, that was the world that I was in, and I, I have, um, a lot of grief when I think about how I treated people and the the posture that I took. But then I also have this compassion because I remember the fear and the, and the fact that the scorn and the, you know, kind of get away, get away from us kind of mindset was out of fear. It was a fear of what, what did that person do wrong that they got to a place where they would doubt, you know, one of my Mm -hmm. best friends, I remember him talking to me and he was like, I'm just, you know, I've just been worried with everything that you're doing that you're going to be like the next Rob Bell. <laughs> that was his kind of, you know, like you're going to go off the tracks. Right. And 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 then there's the fear of if I hang out with you, then your questions and your right. doubts are going to rub off on me. Is it contagious? And so you're just terrified. Yeah. And that, I mean, it makes sense, right? If you live in that very black and white, um, very rigid kind of structure where, well, this is the truth. Right. So you wrote that book. And the reason it was popular is because it was the truth. This lines up, right? You, in a way, you had said a lot of amazing things in, in new ways and very accessible ways. But it was what that group had been believing, certainly for a couple decades, you know, really pushing, you know, with the moral majority and the shift towards a lot of purity and stuff. And so, of course, you're, you're basically writing scripture when you agree with everyone, right? So you're like, that's, that's great. Right, yeah. um, and, and so you're making it accessible, but this is this is basically what the word of God says somewhere. Mm. We're not sure. We've not found the quite the right scripture to quote yet, but it's in there somewhere. Um, and <laughs> suddenly when you say, well, I made a mistake, what you're saying is there's something about this immovable object in truth that is wrong. Yeah. So it's not just, it, 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 there's no room for someone that's a leader who's been teaching the absolute truth that is immovable, infallible, absolutely black and white. There's no room for them to make a mistake because it's not some dude who made a mistake. It's them critiquing the rock, solid, orthodox, black and white, you know, in or out dynamic. If if, if you're saying that's wrong, well, are we all going to hell? (laughs) You know, like this is, I mean, there's huge existential fear and and dread and, and all sorts of stuff coming up. I guess I'd love for you and, to and talk. You know, I was just, if, if I could just jump into please. what you're yeah, saying yeah, there, please. It, this is one of the reasons that I'm, I'm often hesitant to use the term cult to describe different churches, because I think what it does is it lets all these mainline evangelical churches off the hook. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, people who have been really hurt by churches often want to say this church was a cult which is a way of saying that it's, you know, which is a way of saying that it's high control and, you know, it's very accurate if you want to get into the terminology. Right. But I think what it often does is it allows all these churches to say, oh, well, that's just a cult over there, or let's just write them off. Or that's just, you know, oh, that's just Josh Harris. He was young when he wrote that book and he made those those mistakes. And it, it keeps them from saying, wait a second, this is the way we do church as well. Mm-hmm. These are the ideals that we had been promoting. These are the things that we had embraced. And it, it keeps them from actually doing that reflection yeah. and deep, you know, uh, kind of analysis of themselves to say, we are cult-like, we right. are controlling, we are built on a really faulty foundation. Yeah. I, I see that a lot with um, 
one of my favorite examples of this is Westboro Baptist Church. Um, and, you know, so much of the, of the American church would go, oh, yeah, but they're kind of crazy, right? We're not Phelps, <laughs> right. you know? Um, but the thing is, when you actually look at their theology, it's basically kind of generic default kind of conservative, conventional, traditional theology where they really ran with it. Like they really believed this and ran with it. Um, and in mm. some ways, I actually respect them a lot more than a lot of Christians. They were much more passionate than me. I tell you, I wasn't doing that. I didn't go pick at anyone's funeral. I didn't have the, the, the cojones for that, you know? Um, and so, you know, in some ways I'm like, yeah, but actually if you let yourself look closely, if you can't mm. write off the Westboro Baptist Church and you actually have to go, well, actually, what are they teaching? They're teaching that God's, you know, selecting some and not selecting others. Oh, probably John Piper and John MacArthur don't want to look too closely at that. Right, a lot of the Gospel Coalition guys don't want to look too close at that because mm. that's what they teach. And actually, what we're seeing is that thing that's so ugly to us is the ultimate caricature of what we're typing on our Gospel Coalition website or whatever, right? And so right. The, the ability to throw that out and go, "Oh, no, that's that's a cult, or that's an extreme sect, or that's just mm. crazy," it, it stops us identifying just how similar we are. Um, and I think we do that all the time. I, I wonder, could you talk about? So something that a lot of people with deconstruction and going through deconstruction, you know, it's a hard journey. It's a hard navigation going through these radical shifts of faith. And one of the things that people really, really struggle with, um, in my experience, I talk to people all the time, all day, every day, dozens of people. And a common mm. one that comes up is I'm really trying to navigate so much regret. Um, I've wasted my time or even more, a stronger form of regret, the, the shame that comes from the regret, the, the, the shame and guilt of being a part of something that harmed people. Maybe I was, I was totally supportive of this church that was very racist or sexist or, mm. you know, homophobic or transphobic or whatever it might be. And people navigating that. And, and, and it's natural that we suddenly realize, gosh, these are some harmful beliefs. And I probably per perpetuated those, right? I, I probably went out on the streets and mm. told people they needed to be saved. I told people that X, Y, or Z, I was all kinds of parts of this. I guess part of what makes um, your story so, um, beautiful to me is you have a, a real glaring example right you have the number of books you sold or i don't know you know what i mean like you could look at the data and go yeah that's how many books i sold and how many people read about purity culture through me or or whatever you know right. and, and like you're saying you know you're going through it and going gosh there's some regret here you know mm -hmm. this literally the word you used was regret and i wonder yeah. could you talk about i have lots of different thoughts on this and 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 over the years, I've kind of tried to figure out different tools that can help people navigate this. But I imagine you could talk very specifically um, as to how you've kind of navigated that mentally. Because mm -hmm. like you said, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have been very forgiving and loving because people are very forgiving and loving out there, uh, especially those that have often been the worst, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, affected by this oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but some people haven't been as, as caring and loving and some people have probably said some really hurtful things that only probably like, I'm sure you've said those things in your head before. You didn't need the piled on even more, you know, it's like, yeah, I know, I know I'm a terrible person. I know I screwed up. Um, but how have you navigated that? How have you kind of tried to process, um, those regrets, that shame? Do you think it's important that you carry some of that? Do you, do you think that that's something that you, you know, you need to get through or over, um, what, what's been mm. your process in dealing with that? Well, I would say it's been um, messy and um, there have been a lot of ups and downs to the process. The whole journey of reevaluating my book 
and having conversations with people who had been hurt by the book and even inviting people to send in letters telling their stories mm. was probably more draining and um, traumatic than I even realized at the time. Um, it took a, a lot out of me, but I, I felt that that was so appropriate because I had benefited from, you know, being a spokesperson. I had benefited in selling books. I had benefited from teaching these things. And I felt like it was even more important for me as a leader of those things to kind of face up to the damage. And, mm. um, and, but I, you know, but it was, uh, it was something that I wanted to run from many times, you know, okay. um, wanted to argue, you know, well, you're being too harsh or that wasn't really my fault, or I didn't really mean that, or I can't take all the blame for, you know, what happened in your life and all those kinds of things. So it was a very, that's what I mean by messy. You know, I mm -hmm. would have these moments where I, I didn't want to do the documentary about the book. I didn't, you know, I wanted to somehow hold on to, you know, the books and somehow just frame it as, well, you know, it's a wrong, wrong application or, you know, all, all those kind of conversations, which, which I think you can apply to faith as well. You know, you can apply to deconstructing beliefs and how you, you know, operated in treating other people when you were a Christian. And it's the same kind of question and journey. Mm. I think for me, what has been helpful is to realize that I'm never going to be able to be the kind of compassionate, um, open-minded person that I want to be if I don't also try to extend that compassion to my former self. It doesn't yeah. mean I'm letting myself off the hook, but it's going back and saying, what was it that, that I was looking for at that time when I embraced that way of thinking? What was I, what did I gain from that? What was I afraid of at the time? You know, what, what were the sources of information that I was trusting to live in that way? And instead of just framing it as I was a terrible person, I did these things, you know, that might be true of some people, but it's also often more complex than that. And when mm -hmm. you show yourself that compassion, I think it can actually deepen your understanding of what you got wrong. Mm. Instead of just carrying this guilt and feeling bad and trying to numb that or escape that in some way, or even just becoming a self-righteous in the opposite direction type of person, I think by seeking to understand yourself and your own context and your own story allows you to really see ways other people influenced you and to really own your own culpability and responsibility. You mm -hmm. know, like for, for me, there's part of me that says, you know, people will say things like, oh, well, you were so young when you wrote that or other people were older. And, and I, I, I say, you know, no, you know what? I was 21 years old. I was an adult and I wanted, I wanted to be a spokesman. I wanted the mm -hmm. uh, fame. I wanted the notoriety. It was all for Jesus, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the point is, is that I embraced a lot of things and I'm now able to look back and say, yeah, it was older people that were telling me things, but you know what? I wanted a context that gave me this kind of certainty so that I could mm -hmm. look down on other people. I was scared of living in a world where yeah, maybe this is, maybe there's not one perfect answer. You know, I, and so I found my way to a very, you know, controlling legalistic kind of faith. 
-hmm. and I made myself at home there. And, uh, and so I need to be able to own that about myself so that I can actually grow and change. Yeah. And so that I could admit where I was wrong and, and so that I'm not, you know, taking on blame that I don't need to take on, you know, and that's, to me, that is, that is human. In other words, we're never going to establish some kind of perfect system or structure where we don't make mistakes and we don't need to grow and learn. And I want to, I want to try to be a part of helping to create a world where people can admit they're wrong and grow in whatever direction um, and not feel like they, they should cease to exist as a human being because they, they see that. Yeah. It's, it's tough, isn't it? I think this is a lot of what happens within deconstruction is this, there's a projection of our own regret and shame and guilt onto the entire movement that we've come out of where you do see people that, that do swing this pendulum. And, and I think it's really healthy and natural response at times. I don't think it's, right. this is to say that this shouldn't happen or if you're doing this, you're wrong or, or you should feel right, bad about right. it. But I think it's a natural response initially when we start to realize, gosh, all this is in me. I, I really feel shame, embarrassed, regret, yeah. guilt. And we, don't want to attack our ego that much, right? I mean, that's, that's a lot for your ego to go through, right? That's an existential crisis. So instead we project it onto the group we've come from, right? And we go, yeah. you are the enemy. You manipulated me. You lied to me. You did this, you mm-hmm. did that, you did this, you did that. And I think the kind of work you're talking about there, it, it not only does the work that matters internally, but I think it does the work that matters on a relational level with these types of people where you can mm. start to look at the nuance there and you can start to look at that pastor wasn't manipulating me. He was just as deluded and scared as I was and had probably grown up in this as much and built his framework and, mm-hmm. and in some way was a victim and mm-hmm. an abuser, just like I was. Right. But actually yeah. it's in looking at that nuance going, gosh, in what ways can we start to take responsibility to see change occur, but not beat ourselves up at every opportunity for growing up in a really toxic environment and becoming right. a bit toxic? Like, oh gosh, well, what a surprise. No, you know? I think that's <laughs> And it's, uh, it's, it's all about like taking responsibility for where you used and misused the power that you had. Mm. And that's a tricky thing to do because we all want to point to the person higher up the, the chain, right. right? You know, higher up the ladder, mm-hmm. pass the buck to somebody else. And yet, and there, there often is someone that we can say, I wish that you had been a better leader. I wish that you'd not, you know, taught things this way we all have parents right right but then we also at least in my case i'm also a parent you know so god forbid you get held to that standard (laughs) well and, and i and i have to own that that's where i have to own i had authority as a pastor here are the things that i really got wrong in in the way that i use that authority i had authority as an author you know just by writing a book and presenting it as being in line with scripture, I had an authority that I now really regret in the way, way that I mm. use that and the way that I taught other people. I had authority and power as a parent, you know, and I have these conversations with my adult kids where I'm having to own things like they don't need to hear me blaming, well, you know, my mentor, he taught me this and it's his fault and blah, blah, blah. What they need to hear is, man, I'm, I'm so sorry son, daughter, (laughs) for the way that I disciplined you, the way that Mm. I thought, the way that that affected you. You know, I thought that I was doing what was right, but I, I 
regret that now. And I regret the way that made you feel. And I regret the way that shaped you. That's what they need to hear from me. Yeah. And, and that I hope will enable them or anyone else to walk through that same process to say, mm. I've both been harmed by other people's use of power, but there, there probably are ways that I misused the power I had and the voice that I had. And it's only when we all try to be honest about that, that I think we can create a, a healthier community, a healthier world. Yeah. Setting a, a, a healthy example that that's not weakness, that that's health, that that's actually strength, you know, to be able to say, Hey, I'm growing, I'm learning, I made mistakes. Like that's an amazing, yeah. beautiful thing. Um, and actually, if we take a second and look beyond our last 30 years within Christianity, we can go, oh gosh, we've actually changed radically and we're constantly changing and we're constantly evolving. And somehow we think we've not changed a second since Jesus obviously said what my pastor said last week. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's amazing, isn't it? We like have this rigid kind of like timeless truth. And then, you know, you go back a hundred years and you can't find that timeless truth half the time. You know, it's, you have to go back true. that far. It's just constantly evolving and memory. changing. Yeah, that's um, so true. It's so, it's, it's so interesting. It's fascinating to me. You know, part of what I'm the work that I do is I'm I'm working with individuals that have a message they want to share in some form, uh, whether it's a book or it's a speech or that type of thing. And the thing that I'm learning that actually connects to the the question you're asking is, before people can do that, they have to make peace with their own story. Yeah. They have to be able to go back and look at that and say, you know what, these experiences, positive or negative, shaped me and positioned me to, to borrow a Christian phrase, be a blessing to other people. Yeah. And I, that's what I'm so encouraged by when I think about um, the different voices, in particular women. That's something mm -hmm. that, you know, I feel like my teaching, my writing, my work as a pastor, sadly, stifled the voices of women in many ways. And part of my own kind of process of trying to, uh, I know I can't make up for the mistakes I've made, but trying to, to do right by those mistakes is to try to lift up voices mm -hmm. that were stifled, in particular, lift up women who uh, have really important things to say. Our leaders need, you know, need to be at the, the table in leadership and all these different forms. And helping people work through that journey of saying, because I experienced this, it shaped my passion to do this. And I think when you see that and you see um, the opportunity and the, and the healing that can come from what's been formed in you, even through negative things, even yeah. through mistakes, I think it, it brings a, a, a wonderful sense of purpose. I mean, this is, you know, observing you from a distance, I've been so impressed, like you had all these gifts and abilities that you use within the church. And now I feel like you're, you're still using those to, to be very shepherd, like, you know, and, and helping people know they're not alone and giving them a sense of community and giving them a sense of definition of what's taking place in their life. And, um, and that's, I hope, I mean, I just, as one person would say to you, Phil, thank you for, for playing <laughs> that part. You know, thank you for yeah, uh, giving that kind of perspective to people like me really appreciate mm. it. It's, it's, it's so important to integrate our past. I just, I just don't think we really fully get this. And I think it's probably one of the most, one of the areas I'm most passionate about in this entire breadth of movement is, is 
helping people realize how important it is to start integrating the stuff that they're railing against actually and and, mm. and there's a process there and that's really hard but, you know you think of things like you know you talk about using that the good stuff of course right i mean i learned to manage large groups of people i learned to public speak and articulate things well right. or whatever i mean i'd certainly try to use those in a podcast mm -hmm. or a quote or a, a meme or whatever god knows where i got my meme skills it was not the church <laughs> yeah, um, i was probably living with the church that's what it was um <laughs> good god um yeah it was probably being a brit in a alt right wing charismatic church in america that's where i got my comedy uh, what, <laughs> it's the only way i survived ask is will will uh meme creation become one of the gifts of the spirit in a hundred years go. from now you know? oh my it's gosh a, it's, it's a valid question I think. that's a gospel coalition <laughs> or, uh, blog or something um but i think as well i look at that and i go yeah but there's some real stuff i'm really not proud of in my my mm. growth my journey and and i look at that and i think but part of that is like you're saying that's that's flavored what i do in a positive way i think of yeah. think of things like cancer research do you know who the people that are throwing money at cancer research do you know the people that are passionately starting cancer um charities and you know and huge organizations and hospices and all these different things people that lost someone's cancer and right. no one would say, oh, praise God, they lost someone to cancer. Oh, that's wonderful. I hope more people lose people to cancer so we can get more hospices. Duh, of course not. Like nobody's saying that. No, no. But it's this thing of there is something about pain, suffering, negative experience that fuels people to turn that into the opposite, into something positive mm -hmm. that gives them that lens of seeing that negative experience. It goes, I don't want anyone to have to sit with a loved one and not have proper care as they die. I don't want mm. anyone to go through cancer and for their loved one to die because they couldn't access chemotherapy or whatever it might be. Right. And, and, and mm -hmm. so they, they go on the offense uh, into this area. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, your example, um, uh, it, it might seem small compared to cancer. Um, in other areas, it's much bigger than a lot of things, but realizing, mm. gosh, I've, I've harmed women in my, my ministry. And gosh, I know I, I did certainly, even in my attempts to elevate women voices in the church at times, I was yeah. playing a, a patriarchal white savior. And um, so, you know, right. even in those, I didn't do well. And yet that's framed how I think it's framed how I respond now. It's framed how I try and, um, yeah, listen more, <laughs> you know, mm. shut up and let women talk in my life. And and if I have a platform go, gosh, there's an opportunity for women to speak here. I'll sit back because they That's know much so more good. about this than me yeah. or, you know, and so it's, so this, it's this give and take of realizing that actually even the worst in our path, if we can sit and, and, and sit with it and allow it to be terrible, allow us to mourn it, to grieve it, to feel the regret, to feel the shame, and then integrate that and go how does that shape me what does it make me want to do now i think there's some beautiful stuff in that that we can um it, it, it's the idea of wasted time we've wasted that time where that was we somehow ruined everything but in another way you wouldn't be who you were today without it right That's you right. would no That's way so shape true. or form you would be the person that can sit down with someone and get them to write an incredible book if you hadn't wrote uh, what today you might not call an incredible book, right? Um, or, you know, to articulate an incredible message and hone a perfect speech if you mm. hadn't spent decades giving amazing speeches. Mm. And again, mm. you might go, I wouldn't like those speeches anymore. And I wouldn't really exactly. push anyone into that room to listen to that speech. But I did really learn a craft there. And I can use yeah. that to do the exact opposite now, to bring love, to bring inclusivity, to bring whatever it might be. 
Um, mm. So I think I think that's really beautiful, Josh. And I think what you're doing is is really beautiful. I really appreciate it. What do you think? We'll, we'll wrap up now, but because um, I know you, you, I want to be sensitive to your time. But do you have thoughts on what's happening right now? Because it feels like deconstruction. We're probably going to be about a week and a half late on this topic. But this is the, the first time I've had a chance to talk to someone about it. <laughs> um, do you have thoughts on the current kind of explosion of of people trying to? talk about deconstruction that really probably don't have a place to um, you know a lot of the evangelical movement the gospel coalition just put out a book explaining to people what deconstruction was it was very very Did they helpful just put out a, i hadn't heard about they this. just put out a book i don't know it's probably like a pamphlet but who knows yeah. um they put out one it definitely totally explained exactly the process of deconstruction as i'm sure that they know in detail what that actually is um, you know, but there's all these different videos coming out, different people telling people what that is. Yeah. Did you have thoughts on what's going on there? Uh, you know, do you have instinctual responses to that? Mm. Well, I think the fact that that's happening is uh, indicative of the fact that there's there's real movement happening. Um, there's there's fear uh, in people in, you know, churches and organizations that are evangelical or just Christian organizations. And so, you know, we, we write, you know, I was in that world for a long time. You, you write books to the things that you're afraid of. You write books so that pastors have something to hand to members of their church so that they can um, have an answer, you know, or have mm. some, and I, and I think that um, what's unique, and I would love your perspective on this. I was thinking back to what happened with the emergent church, um, it, which was around the time that Rob Bell's, you know, work was, uh, was kind of uh, changing and, and so on. But you, you had a movement that was kind of a new expression of progressive Christianity. In the circles I was in, there was a huge amount of fear and terror, terror about that. Right. Uh, so many books written. And I think we also need to recognize that there's an industry behind this. There's, there's a huge publishing industry. Whenever there's a movement, you know, books are going to be written. Someone please book. comment on this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it'd be fascinating to go back and look at the response to the emergent church, the way that that played out. Mm. Uh, maybe even mistakes that people in the emergent church movement made in trying to kind of engage or play by certain, you know, rules that were <laughs> set out yeah. by others. Um, I think what's different and I think what's, what's much more challenging for people in, in churches related to deconstruction is that the person that is experiencing deconstruction potentially is not trying to claim to stay in, you know, mm. I think that's where the emergent church was still very much church. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there was like, well, here are these, you know, here are these set Orthodox uh, beliefs. And if you're outside of those, then you're out and that type of thing. And I think what's so hard is people are, are saying, you know what, I'm just not at the same place. I, I don't care what you, how you define me and I'll keep what I want to keep and I'll let go of what I want to let go of. And there, you know, the response to that is going to be, how do we somehow define who's in, who's out and frame this as something that's very dangerous and, you know, something that needs to be kind of pushed away so that we can, we can stay safe. Yeah. So I, I'm, uh, I'm kind of bemused by it, but it's, it's an understandable response. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's that was my main response. I've had a lot of people message me saying, please comment on this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what are we looking for commentary on? You know, I was like, this is yeah. like a Trump supporter saying, hey, I don't believe in climate change, everyone. I am not a climate change believer. That's not news. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, is anyone surprised here? I'm sure there's some. Well, I think it's, I know, think what's, what becomes, it's, it's so interesting because the way things are framed, even if you're, if you've stepped away from the church, it still bothers you when things are framed in a way that seems very unfair. We don't like to be misrepresented, right? Don't like to be misrepresented. I, I don't feel like I can speak for the uh, deconstruction, you know, space. Right. It's so diverse. I'm not, mm -hmm. I've not been appointed by anybody. I can only speak from my own experience, but you know, we've all, I think when we, when you read an article or a book that's written about this and that type of thing, um, it kind of triggers all of the personal interactions you've had, the friends that said, oh, I'm really worried about you. Or they, you know, or you, or the, hearing that someone's saying, well, he was, he or she was probably never really a Christian, all those kinds of things. And so I think that's where the the trauma can come for people that are uh, that are outside the church or are questioning yeah. or in a different space. And the, the thing I would say, because I know there'll be Christians who'll be listening to the, our conversation even today, is just you know what the way you speak about this so-called movement or this you know, what is it, maybe mm -hmm. a faceless thing for you. There are people in your congregation that are exactly where right. I am, or yeah. you know, who have deconstructed. They just aren't telling you because they know that you will reject them. Yeah. And so the way that you speak about those people, they're going to hear and they're yeah. going to hear the tone and they're going to hear the, the judgment and self-righteousness. And so, listen, if you really believe in the tenets of scripture and God's, you know, omnipotence and power and all those kinds of things, then you don't need to react with fear, hatred, manipulation, you know, scrambling to control or abuse people that are not on your team, you should, you should be able to be loving and kind and let people ask the questions they need to ask yeah. and let people go on the, the journey they need to go on. And so that's, uh, those are kind of my immediate thoughts. Yeah. That's, it's good. It's good. I, I think of, you know, you mentioned farewell, Rob Bell, famous tweet, that tweet yeah. sold Rob more books than his publisher. I don't think his publisher could have matched those numbers. Like yeah, John yeah. Piper hooked Rob up with some book sales there. I mean, that was, that was one of the most viral tweets I could ever remember. And, oh, and I think crazy. it is stuff. And I think those people you mentioned are the people that I think of, you know, I think, you know, you and I hear that and we go, well, I'm, I'm not going back to their church. Right. I mean, like what, you, mm. are you going to win me over by redefining my experience? And I'll go, Oh, you're right. Mm. I'm wrong. I'll come back. Right. So people in the deconstruction that are out, they're, they're gone. Yeah. They're not coming back. People yeah. in the church that are heavily evangelical, conservative, con conventional, right. whatever language you use, they're just going to nod on, give themselves a pat on the back and go, yeah, yeah, that's right. Preach mm -hmm. on. That's so good. Right. 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 And, and nothing's going to change. That's no, what they already true. believe. That's the language. That's why it triggers us so much, actually. Don't you think that they're saying what thinking, they're already saying? <laughs> no, that's true. And I don't you think what's interesting about deconstruction is that essentially it's reframing a process that the church just has labeled backsliding, apostasy, falling away. You were never really with us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so powerful about terms. And I think that's probably what's so troubling about deconstruction is it's it's using a term that's not 
immediately negative. Yeah. <laughs> it's this, I'm questioning, I'm reevaluating, I'm, I'm looking at all these beliefs, I'm willing to walk away from, you know, what I now view as toxic uh, forms of living and, and thinking. Yeah. And so I'm just curious for you, like, how do you think uh, deconstruction is being reframed by the church or talked about in a way that's that's unfair what what are the the things that you're seeing i think there's a few things i mean i've only seen a few videos i just don't like to get bogged down in like what an evangelical perspective of deconstruction is i'm like it's kind of largely irrelevant it really is they just don't have a like like, let oh please why don't i listen to a white person explain racism to me you know what i mean it's like no like what are you talking about no go listen to someone that's a person of color a black person you know uh indigenous or whatever and go hey could you explain this to me and how i how it might look um and so i think that's a a big factor so i'm not well versed in this but i have watched a few videos people keep sending me and things and honestly for the most part they just are telling people it's something completely different than it is so they'll say like oh this is what deconstruction is it's when you ask questions um and that's a really good thing. The problem is that you need to find the answers in the right place. You need to ask those questions and then go to God and the Bible for those answers. You need to go mm. to your leaders. You need to go to trusted Christian sources. The problem is people are, they're asking questions, which is such a healthy and good and amazing thing. And we all have doubts. So it's good to ask questions, but then they're going and asking Buddha or this atheist or just making something up so they can go have sex or, you know, so they can fall away. And, and so it's, it's the narrative and the caricature of it. Mm. Um, and ultimately it just doesn't match up with what, what deconstruction is as well. Deconstruction isn't asking questions. Deconstruction is questioning your core values of your faith tradition and changing mm. those core values. If you know, otherwise you're just you're just growing up as a Christian. You're just changing and 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 slightly tweaking your beliefs. That's not particularly a deconstruction. If you can stay in the same church and still be a leader, you probably haven't deconstructed, right? <laughs> so you know, all these pastors going, I've deconstructed myself. You know, I asked these hard questions at one point in my life, and look at me. It's quite unlikely they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the people I think that I'm most excited about is those people you mentioned, right? Those people in their pulpits. You look at the data, 34% of deconstructing Christians are still attending church at least once a week. That's an astonishing statistic to me. Wow. And it does drop as time goes on, those numbers dwindle quite rapidly. So I think mm-hmm. as time goes on, people find a bit more freedom, a bit more flexibility. Maybe they grow and, and, and change their beliefs even further. But there's a lot of people that are deconstructing in those churches. And I think... A lot of pastors kind of know that, but don't want to know it. And what's interesting right. is a huge portion of them don't even know what's going on. They don't even know what the words mm-hmm. are, the language, the community out there that exists. They think they're utterly alone, probably. They're, they're terrified. They've got these questions and they don't know who to talk to. Because they know they asked the yeah. pastor. He just told I, people I what he's going to do. And it's not going to be good. Yeah. But, but like, what's interesting is what the pastor just did now is he just gave it a label I can Google. He just gave it mm-hmm. a label I can check the hashtag for. Holy crap, there's, there's accounts, there's memes, there's networks, there's Facebook groups, there's, I'm not alone. Right. These guys are doing the farewell Rob Bell. Yeah, all the evangelicals are retweeting it and going, oh, we totally owned Rob Bell. But Rob Bell is going, thanks for your money, everyone. I really appreciate <laughs> everyone buying my book. I really appreciate everyone questioning hell more. I really appreciate everyone that did think, Gandhi's not dead? Or Gandhi's going in hell? Hmm. All those people are now buying my book and, and thinking about that and exploring it. Um, and I think that's what's happening. You know, I've, I've only seen a boom in people coming to me and asking questions in the last two weeks because of it. Um, and so many say, I had no idea deconstruction was a thing, but I've been doing this on my own in church for two years. 
And it's only wow. because all these people, all these leaders um, are making videos or whatever. So I, I think it's an exciting opportunity. And I think it, it, the more, it's the, it's the problem of you, you have to talk about it when you're scared and you have to try and demonize it, mm -hmm. but you're only going to push a bunch of people towards it. And everyone else, of course, of course you're, you're, conservative terrified grandma is going to not like deconstruction like that's not going to be surprising mm -hmm. you know this new video isn't going to make her like it's just going to make her agree more you know what I mean? it's not going to make her change and, and like it less they're just going to be like oh now i have a word for what i don't like backsliding is deconstruction or however they frame it right right um but yeah i just think i, th I think you're right and i think what's interesting is in our in deconstruction it's a it's a positive momentum the, the, the label is not a belief it's a movement away from a certain belief mm. so christianity needs that hard belief to believe in right we believe x y and z and they like right. other p groups they go oh and hindus believe x y and z and and muslims well they don't believe x y z they believe in b c and m um but <laughs> they definitely don't believe the same as us um but you know they like that hard fast simple thing but it's and so that's what's so funny about it is these conversations about decon deconstructing christians this is what they believe and it's like good luck have you seen the data on this deconstruction christians are a mess none of us agree with anything we can't agree on anything we <laughs> right. all believe all sorts of different things there's christians and there's right. agnostics and there's atheists and there's you know and even in that we all disagree um and so i think it's really interesting the the language for deconstruction, or at least the 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 general understanding of deconstruction is we all know that our commonality is not we believe the same thing. It's that we're on a similar journey, and mm -hmm. that we, our journey is we're coming away from something that harmed us, that wasn't healthy, that wasn't did, couldn't provide the answers, and we're all seeking out answers together, quite comfortable that they might be different. And I think that's quite a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. I think that's, that that's evolution, that's growth. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, it's it's exciting. I think we're in an exciting time. We really are. <laughs> I love that. I love that perspective, and um, and I think uh, I think you're you're so right about the idea that um, when institutions become self protective, and they start trying to label and demonize, they end up drawing more attention to the the very thing that they're they're so afraid of. Absolutely. And it's so much more dangerous today, right? Back in the day when Martin Luther was circulating his leaflets, it was it was hard, but it wasn't too hard to keep on top of that. You know, before then it was really easy. We didn't have a printing press, right? It's like one guy frantically writing leaflets. <laughs> True. Luther's printing them off. Well, now they're like, I mean, geez, it's like in everyone's pocket, right? <laughs> Whatever you don't want them to know, it's in their pocket and it's the top search result on Google. Um, so and so it's just, it's it's game over for the the misinformation and, and things like that. And so, yeah, it's, it's exciting, really exciting. I'm, I'm glad that as people do seek these kind of things, as they search them out, they're going to come across people like yourself. They're going to come across people like me and, and, and a whole host of amazing people out there that are doing this. And so and many good voices yeah, out there. It's, yeah. it's really exciting to see and, and for people to know they're not alone and they're joining a, a, a huge movement of people that are asking good questions and coming up with some beautiful answers. Josh, I well, really I'm appreciate really looking, I, I really love this conversation, Phil, and I'm, I look forward to a post-COVID world where uh, <laughs> the amazing community that I see forming around people that are on this journey can actually uh, meet up in person. So Yeah, I, we I all we need to get together and have a big hangout. That <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know we went a bit over, uh, but um, yeah, I hope you, hope you have a good day. Where about are you? I live in Vancouver, BC, so I'm in That's Canada right. on the West yeah. Coast. Awesome. My favorite coast, west of uh, North America. Just 
beautiful part of the world. It's beautiful. So. I, I grew up outside of Portland, Oregon, so it's uh, I feel a good connection with the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, enjoy the rest of your day. I appreciate you so much. Um, how can people connect with you if they want to like follow what you're doing and connect? Sure. Yeah, you know, I um, I spend a lot of time on Instagram. So my handle there is Harris Josh. Uh, and then uh, my website is joshharris.com. And then they can read about my other my other work there. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. We'll make sure those links so much, are in Phil. the show notes. And uh, I'll let you know when it comes out. I think it's gonna come out next Thursday. So Oh, fantastic. Uh, it uh, was great. Yeah. Great getting to talk to you. I, I really am yeah, grateful. It's been for really fun. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day. Take Bye, man. Catch you later. Peace. See you. Bye-bye. All right. That was Josh Harris. I would encourage you, give Josh a follow on Instagram. It's Harris Josh. Um, check out his website, joshharris.com. Um, uh, yeah. Check out his stuff. I mean, he's, he's putting out great stuff. I mean, a lot of his stuff is not deconstruction focused these days. Um, he's enjoying life and doing his own thing. But he does um, share all kinds of great stuff. Uh, I've seen him pop up on, um, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? My brain. Um, Clubhouse. My brain. Guys, it's been, I was going to say a long day. It's been a long week. Um, but yeah, he's been on uh, Clubhouse quite a bit recently. Um, so check check out his stuff. Keep an eye out for him. Um, he's always putting out great stuff. I'm sure you appreciated the conversation we had like, such a, a wise guy and such a, a gentle, compassionate, kind person, um, willing to do the hard work as well. And, and I hope that um, maybe some of the, uh, his process in doing that has been insightful and helpful in um, giving you maybe some tools to go and do some of the same hard work that most of us have to do, unfortunately. Um, and so, yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed that. Shoot him a DM on Instagram. Let him know that you love this conversation. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Um, that's everything from me. Check out the deconstructionnetwork.com, as I said at the beginning. Uh, check out uh, the Patreon if you want to join our, our uh, private community. It's uh, patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, but that's all from me. I'll see you next week where we start our Understanding Deconstruction series on Monday with What is Deconstruction? All right. Love all of you. I'll catch you later. Peace. <laughs>